Trauma Therapist Podcast, episode 151. Passion, dedication, and inspiration. If you're ready to hear inspiring interviews with amazing trauma therapists, this is it. Right here, right now. With your host, Guy McPherson. All right, folks, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson, and really excited uh, tonight to introduce my guest, Karen Allen. Karen, you ready to do this? I sure am. All right, so Karen is the director of the social work program at Indiana University in Bloomington. She received her MSW and PhD from Wayne State University. Karen is a licensed clinical social worker as well as a certified trauma therapist. And her hospital and private practice involves working with individuals with co-occurring disorders, severe illnesses, and traumas such as burns, spinal cord injuries, head injuries, cancer, and strokes. Karen has published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and is a co-author of the book, Social Work Practice in Healthcare, Advanced Approaches and Emerging Trends. Her current areas of research include recovering from trauma, domestic violence, and quality of life and chronic disease. All right. Awesome. Uh, Obviously, just a little bit about you, but uh, take a moment. I know you're on the East Coast. Where are you calling from and what's it like there right now? Uh, it's cold. We're in Bloomington, <laughs> Indiana. It's it's really really cold. Um, had a, about an inch of snow, and I was surprised that the city sort of shut down. Really? I'm, I'm from Michigan. An inch of snow isn't going to do anything to us. <laughs> so it's been kind of a quiet day. Okay. Okay. Well, um, we start off here, Karen, with a a quote, a mantra, something that will kind of set the tone and give our listeners uh, kind of just a glimpse into what uh, has inspired you or influenced you. What would you like to uh, share? Uh, I don't really have a mantra except to say that I think the work that we're doing in trauma therapy really is offering a lot of hope to a lot of people. And it's just a very exciting area to be. Okay. So the work we're doing in trauma therapy is offering a lot of hope. Um, when, when did you realize that? Was that something that just was, boom, this is it and I know it, but uh, when did that become uh, resonant for you? I think that, well, I've always worked with people who had pretty serious illnesses and, um, you know, m- multiple amputations, spinal cord injuries. And I was amazed at people's capacity to recover from from conditions I couldn't even imagine about. And um, so I had an intuitive sense and a clinical sense, practice wisdom, if you will, about what that process was like about rebuilding, reforging identity, um, being able to hang on to the person who you are and yet also become someone new. And as the emerging work um, in child abuse started to show um, oh, the lifelong effects of, of trauma in, in early childhood and the brain imaging and the neurological stuff and the treatment opportunities, um, we sort of began to put those two together and see how um, recovery was possible, how therapists could facilitate that, um, how there was biological and and now even emerging genetic evidence for some of the work that we're doing. And, and so it's been a process probably over 20 years um, 
I think the field has really emerged a great deal in the past 10 years, really developed in the past 10 years. But um, I would say for me, um, I st- it's really started when I read Judith Herman's book, Trauma and Recovery, which um, was written fairly fairly soon after 9-11. And I think to me, that's sort of the seminal point in trauma work that that got me going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this idea of hope, I love it. Um, it at once feels to me something that, you know, when, when you're just starting out in this field and getting into uh, trauma work and working with individuals who've been traumatized, especially, uh, you know, what you were talking about, spinal cord injuries and really severe uh, illnesses and so forth, the idea of hope can almost seem uh, almost farthest from our, our mind and let alone to bring that into the room and to be the hope in the room as um, uh, previous guest Tama uh, Brian has said, to be the hope in the room is, is so profound. I wonder if you can share a story of how, uh, what that looked like uh, as an example for you, maybe in, in, in an earlier uh, case or even even a recent case so forth, what, what that might have looked like? Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the work that we've done with and domestic um, violence and recovering from interpersonal trauma. And I'll just share, there is a, a, a difference in, um, if you will, naturally occurring trauma, uh, even, even illness, um, cancer, things like that, um, natural life course, if you will, trauma, and then sort of um, trauma that is um, a result of something that's administered to you by another person. Those are very different trauma recovery paths. Uh, it's, it's, a real, it's a real hard thing to understand how someone um, can hurt, personally hurt you and harm you, uh, particularly if it's a parent or someone that you you know, would expect to be protecting you and and loving you. So I think those are are two real different things. Um, We uh, have been running a series of of work uh, of groups with women who have been uh, traumatized by violence. And um, what we've seen is a a three-stage recovery process. And the first first stage that we, we noticed is is and and documented and found evidence for was this um, re- recovering identity and reclaiming um, an original sense of identity, and what we think was happening is, like like in an addiction, which sometimes abusive relationships have an addictive element too. Um, we we saw women. Um, who had emerged from these abusive relationships start to really reclaim their identity and um, to the point where they would resume activities that that were part of who they were um, as the before the abuse or as before the abuse had escalated. So we were running a series of um, groups and one of the women came into the workshop with photographs um, and um, her photography equipment and um, started to share that in the group. And we realized that these women in this particular group had left their abusive relationships so quickly and so suddenly, uh, life and death situations, as you can well imagine, they, they didn't have any pictures of themselves or their children. Um, they were all left in the house with the abuser and so on. 
And so this woman gave us her gift and took pictures of, of the women in the group and then, and then their families and so on, reconstituting um, visually those, you know, those images, pictures of the children, pictures of themselves. And I, I, I really remember the women getting all dressed up and I, another woman was very good with makeup and another woman was good with hair and just sharing, you know, that gift with us. And I, I never thought that as a therapist to tell a woman, you know, um, and usually it is women, not to say that it can't men of course we know we know 10 to 15 percent of all interpersonal violence is um you know but between both partners or or so on but to take pictures of the children take a scrapbook and so on so it's a very um powerful experience for me was seeing those pictures and scrapbooking with the women afterwards man powerful story yeah powerful story how how did you get into this to this field. I mean, you, and you, you just, you've just shared a pretty, pretty amazing story. Take us there again. Share the story of how you got into this field, Karen. Well, um, there, so I've been in, in pra- I've been in social work practice about 20, oh gosh, I don't even want to say 30 years. <laughs> so, um, uh, again, this work in, in, um, uh, working with people who had, uh, disfiguring burns and so on and being amazed at their their process of 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 resilience and recovery um and i as a hospital as a uh, academic then i began to be in charge of programs and so on and designing curriculum and 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 so on and i got involved in child welfare programs and um the university i was at had a child welfare training program and and I, in in my experience, a lot of um, the field started to really um, develop um, when we really began to look at the lifelong impacts, uh, uh, the lifelong impact of trauma and abuse on children. And uh, so, as I was working in child welfare, I began to be exposed to a very rich body of literature that was um, talking about. How we know that children who are abused um, have particular um, develop um, a hypersensitivity. Uh, we think there's a neurological basis to this. We think the hippocampus, the amygdala, the thalamus, this deep brain, if you will, uh, gets gets um, sensitized all the time, and. Um, and that makes sense, of course. So that's where our fight or flight or freeze reaction is. And somebody who's being traumatized is constantly on protective survival mode. And as I began to go deeper and deeper into the literature, I started to to, to think about, and I started to put it together with the PTSD literature that, of course, and research that's emerging so if you're constantly on guard and your brain is constantly revved up at, at a deep survival mechanism, how do you learn to shut it off? And we began to think that, that and others began to think that the system wasn't getting shut off and that part of therapy needed to help people to find ways to, um, 
to turn down the the volume, if you will, or the activity on this hyper-aroused um, neurological circuit. And it seemed to make sense. It seemed to make intuitive sense. And we started to test some things out. And then more and more evidence just has continued to emerge. Things like um, uh, helping people... Um, be able to sit still and, and meditate. Meditate is sometimes even too strong a word. Just even sitting still in a quiet way for 10 or 15 minutes as a way of practicing and helping that system settle down enough that things like um, other kinds of um, inter- interventions around therapy can take place. Um, and now we're starting to see things in trauma therapy about the importance of of um, activities that engage both the right brain and the left brain. So, for example, art art therapy and, um, oh, um, yoga and all of Mm -hmm. those things, not only do they have a benefit to the person, they're just good practices for all of us, but we think that that really starts to help settle down this hyper-aroused neurological um, circuitry and then better connect the higher functioning of the brain. And and so that made a lot of sense. And so our work seemed to show that. Our work uh, using some of these t- techniques with women, we saw great results in, um, you know, reducing PTSD symptoms. And, um, and it was just a, a joyful experience as well. So you talked about kind of being in the midst of um, a lot of this research that was going on. You know, you also talked about being in child welfare and and, and being inspired by uh, uh, the people who'd been severely burned and uh, people who'd been had spinal cord injuries. What what kind of led you into the field specifically, though? Was it was it just simply that you know just uh, being so inspired by these people and wanting to uh, uh, work with them to help them, or what was it? I think that um, it was being a social work professor and wanting to give my students something that they would really be able to take with them and be able to um, really impact um, the lives of their clients with. There aren't, I don't, I, I, I think there are few social psychological problems that don't have an aspect to trauma to them. Certainly some of the organic mental illnesses and schizophrenia and some other things like that. But but so often mental illness and, and um, life problems, relationship problems, go along with some kind of trauma. And so the idea of really looking at the, the root cause of, of um, a, a major contributor to people's problems was was really exciting to me. And I was in a position to design programs to help other, you know, emerging social workers and therapists. And it was really, um, uh, it was really in that context that I thought I was able to really help my students and the next generation of, of social work practitioners. I had my own practice too, but it was really in that capacity that I felt uh, I, I was able to, to, to contribute. 
Yeah, I, I can really appreciate this idea of kind of getting to the root cause. That's certainly one of the um, uh, inspirational uh, pulls, if you will, that uh, has really uh, moved me along in this work. So let's get to uh, uh, discussing uh, kind of an early error you made. And, and again, tell, tell us a story and how that influenced you or maybe impacted, impacted the work you've been doing. Are you ready to become the best version of yourself? Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support, and it is 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. No more worrying about finding the right provider or scheduling appointments. Cerebral brings it all to you whenever and wherever you need it. To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving you, the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners, 15% off your first month of online therapy, medication, or both. Get started by going to Cerebral.com slash podcast and use the code the Trauma Therapist. That's Cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L.com slash podcast. And don't forget to use the code the Trauma Therapist to get 15% off your first month. Make 2024 your best year yet. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Please see site for details. Going Inside is a new podcast on a mission to help you heal from trauma and connect with your authentic self. Hosted by licensed trauma therapist John Clark, this show explores trauma healing through the lens of internal family systems therapy with detours into EMDR, somatic experiencing, and much more. Tune in for enlightening guest expert interviews, immersive solo deep dives, real therapy sessions, and soothing guided meditations. Head on over to johnclarktherapy.com slash podcast or search for Going Inside with John Clark on your favorite podcast platform. Once again, head on over to johnclarktherapy.com forward slash podcast or search for Going Inside with John Clark on your favorite podcast platform. Oh, well, I will say this is not a, a uh, necessarily a trauma-related story, but it is, a, it, it is probably the biggest lesson that I learned um, in, early on in, in clinical practice. And it's, it's really a, a simple story, but it, it, um, it had to do with a woman who was faced with the challenge of, of placing um, her son, who had been traumatized with a um, very serious uh, head injury and spinal cord injury in in a in a um, extended care facility, and um, that was the plan. And you know, I was doing all this great social work and getting all the insurances and the programming and the case management and all this other stuff, and thought I was doing good enough grief work and and trauma work, and things just weren't happening. Nothing was ever ever really, really moving along like it was supposed to. And I realized that that the real problem was that despite what the woman was saying to me, she was just not capable of, of putting her son in a, in a facility. And I really feel I had misidentified the problem. I had imposed my own goal or I hadn't looked deep enough or listened hard enough to her pain to really understand um, that that 
she was doing what the doctors wanted. She was doing what the insurance company wanted. She was not doing what what was in her heart. And she ended up taking her son home. And unfortunately, she was not able to care for him. He, she just physically could not provide that care. And um, she called me a week later and she, she had to move forward with it forward with it. So I think I think what I learned in, in that encounter was to really uh, work harder with the client in in developing a very rich understanding of, of how they see the problem and the challenge and not to rush to imposing a plan before that process takes place. Yeah, I love that. I mean, a couple of things I just want to pull out. What you said about, you know, you hadn't listened hard enough to her pain. I mean, that's so powerful. Um, And and what a great lesson, too. Um, You know, you described what you described. It seemed to be doing maybe checking all the boxes, right? Doing all the things that we think uh, we should do. Maybe even that she said she wanted but uh, what what I'm hearing you you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe there was a part that uh, you could have looked between the lines, if you will. I think that that that's probably true, but I I also think that sometimes in our own desire and even perhaps needs to help other people, mm. you know, people who are traumatized hurt. And being in the room with them, you just want to do something to make it better, make it easier, help them hurt less. Mm-hmm. And, and that can really lead you to prematurely trying to find a solution in the midst of all this trauma and pain rather than just being with the, with the um, uh, individual and letting, letting them hurt. I had a, a, one of my colleagues at the hospital came up to me um, one day and I was, I'd walked into work and she caught me in the lobby of the hospital and she said, um, I don't know what you did. We had a horrible emergency room case. Um, and, and she said, I don't know what you did with the, the family last night, but they thought you were wonderful. And they, they, and, and I'm trying to think, what, what did I do? And all I could think of that I did was sat there in the emergency room and passed the Kleenex mm. And got them to a phone and took them to the chapel and sat with them in the chapel. I was so overwhelmed with this case. Mm-hmm. I, I knew I couldn't even find words to say anything. And so I didn't say much. And somehow that just being there and being present was was enough. And and a lot of times our health and mental health systems, you know, don't don't allow us to do that enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, that that's, I think is therapy gold right there, Karen. Thank you so much for sharing that. Let's, uh, move on here before we do Karen, let's just pause for a moment for these announcements. Hey folks, if you're not yet on our email list, I'd like to take this time to invite you to sign up. Head on over to thetraumatherapistproject.com. That's thetraumatherapistproject.com. Uh, input your email, and this way you can stay up to date about what's going on here at the Trauma Therapist Project. And also, you'll immediately receive the free PDF 
called The Roadmap, 10 Crucial Steps to Guide the New Trauma Therapist. Once again, head on over to thetraumatherapistproject.com, sign up on the email list, and I will keep you up to date. All right, so Karen, I love what uh, you're talking about and, and how you're kind of articulating your experiences. What keeps you going in this field? What's your why? Oh, um, I think that it's really, a, I think it is a privilege to be able to help someone when they are at a time in their neediest moment, in their most difficult moment. Um, and I am able to, um, to, to recognize that, that sometimes the things that are small um, are, are enough. They, they might mm-hmm. seem small in, in, uh, going to someone's funeral. I don't very often go to a funeral in a, in a horrible motor vehicle accidents, but sometimes it's the right thing to do. And picking up a phone and calling somebody a month after they've left the hospital or six months later, just to, just to see how they're doing. Um, so I developed a sense that I, in the, these things are so overwhelming and being able to accept that Mm -hmm. and then to accept the little things that I can do and to accept that for me, that is enough Mm -hmm. for me as a, as a social worker, it is enough to have, um, uh, gotten somebody social security disability benefits or, um, you know, sat with someone or got them connected with the doctor so the doctor could really explain what was going on. And it, it was being okay with what I could do. That's the acceptance prayer, isn't it? And I hear myself saying the <laughs> acceptance prayer. That's really what it is. Did it take you a while, uh, i.e., uh, a while to get to that point to be okay with, uh, you know, doing quote unquote, the small things, the little things, the seemingly insignificant things, like just sitting, you know, with that family and passing the Kleenex box around. Yes. Yes. And I, I remember, um, there was a point where I, I had a, a, a situation where I really put my shoulder to the grindstone to try to, to work some, some kind of miracle for a family and I could get nowhere on this case. And, and I got very, very burned out. And, um, the physician on the team went to my boss and said, I'm worried about her. I don't, I don't think she's doing so good. And my boss came to me and I was angry guy. What do you mean? I'm, you know, I didn't say that to my boss like that, but I was like, really, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I really wasn't fine. And my boss made me take a couple of days off and I came back and it didn't, didn't happen right away. But a few months later, I, I started to really be grateful for the, my, my team who cared enough about me to, to say something and a boss who, you know, said, I, you know, I want you to take a couple days off, you know, you're, 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 you need some, you need to step back. And of course, then, um, um, then, then the idea of really, um, 
finding a different way of, of thinking about what I was doing and, and being able to accept what I could do and, and the things that I couldn't do anything about. Um, I think that was a turning point for me as well. Mm. There, there, I think is such a great lesson here. And, and you know what I will say, Karen, in, in doing all these interviews, there is a theme that uh, comes to the forefront with the people like yourself who've been doing this for years. And it is just that. They, they seem to be okay and content and, and at peace with not having to, you know, work miracles. It seem to be at peace with, with knowing um, in a very authentic way the importance of being with another person. And I think that's such a profound lesson for people just getting into this field. You know, I think, um, I think too, um, and thinking about um, the work of um, um, Judith Herman and, and all, she talks about um, the first stages in, in, in recovering from trauma being, um, building a sense of safety. And she's talking about physical safety and, of course, emotional safety. But then she talks about the second stage of recovery being um, telling, having, ha- being able to tell your story, mm. having your story validated. And, um, you know, I think that, ju- that seeing that in print made me feel like, uh, I can listen to a story. I can help someone uh, tell their story, make sense of their story, not necessarily the event, mm-hmm. but their experience of it. And I can validate it in the sense that it was a horrible, sad um, uh, thing that has happened. And and just seeing that phrase gave me a place to kind of land on with with this idea of, of, of what is enough. And, 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 and I thought I can do that. And I, and I, I hope I have been able to do that. I think I have been able to do that. I think it's a very important part of trauma recovery. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. This is a, is a perfect segue into uh, thoughts or suggestions or advice you have for people who are just getting into this field. What would you, what would you say to them? Uh, I would say that that first of all, it's a there's terrific resources um, on this. There are um, online resources for for uh, online modules through the National Institute of Mental Health. Um, the book, as I say, the I, I books that I require that I require my students to read. I require them to read Judith Herman's book Trauma and Recovery. Uh, it's to me a seminal book. I also am still. I, I also still have my students read um, Viktor Frankl's book *Man's Search for Meaning*, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that logotherapy and existential therapy and meaning, making meaning out of these events, is important. And um, and Tedeschi and uh, Calhoun's *Post-Traumatic Growth*. So those would be the books that I. Um, I really um, ask my students to start with as a starting point. Okay. So those are books, but as far as um, advice, I mean, you've given so much advice throughout this whole uh, interview, really. And I've kind of tried to pick nuggets out 
And then I'll include everything on the show notes page at traumatherapistproject.com. But in terms of advice, guidance from your years, what would you say to people who maybe just want to get into this field in addition to the books? I would say that when you're dealing with a complex uh, client, somebody with a complex host of problems, to look deep for early childhood um early childhood trauma and even family trauma. I think that, that when you see really complicated problems, there's almost always a seed of some kind of trauma there. Um, and, um, to really allow the person to um, be in a safe place to, to talk about it. Okay. I think that's great there. So when you're dealing with a complex client, look deeply for early childhood and or family trauma. Okay. All right. So we've got Trauma and Recovery by Judith Herman, uh, Man's Search for Meeting, of course. And uh, the other book was Post-Traumatic Growth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, I'll have those all linked up. What uh, is the best way for people to get in touch with you, Karen? Uh, I'm, a, I'm at Indiana university and my email is, um, K A R E A L L E at Indiana.edu. Okay. Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's Karen Allen without Karen Allen without the ends. K A R E A L L E at Indiana.edu. You. Awesome. All right, Karen, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I know it's late where you are, but um, I loved, really, really just uh, loved and appreciated how you articulated um, the way you work. Uh, I just found it really inspiring. So, and, and I know that our listeners will as well. So thank you so much for that. Great. And good luck with the project. I'll be following it. All right. Take care. Good night. Hey folks, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to and support this podcast. Look, if you're new to this field and you're starting out with your trauma-informed education, I invite you to check out my rebooted membership site, Trauma Therapist 2.0. Trauma Therapist 2.0 is an online community which offers education, support, and inspiration for people working with trauma clients. Trauma Therapist 2.0 consists of instructional videos from the thought leaders and game changers in this field, step-by-step videos on interventions by myself, and it also includes a private Facebook group. I price Trauma Therapist 2.0 at $20 a month with the goal of making it available to students and professionals alike. Head on over to traumatherapist2.com. That's all one word, traumatherapist2.com, and join me on this amazing journey.